So before we get stuck into this week's particularly girthy episode, I want to take a moment to thank every one of the listeners to this podcast that make this more than just a couple of idiots shouting into the void. Recorded over a few hours on a suboptimal microphone from a hotel room at a convention, this episode is a primary example of exactly why I love doing this podcast and why I will continue to sip myself down in my recording space once a week and serve you all up a heaping helping of sincerity and vulnerability, all slathered in our patented spicy dick joke sauce. The following was an interview I did with a friend of mine that happens to be both an incredibly talented digital artist working in the gaming industry, but also the parent of an addict who is currently still battling with the worst of her addiction. Over the next two hours, Doug and I speak about gaming as an industry, the nature of having fans in a pretty tiny niche, the resiliency needed to be the parent or loved one of an addict, and the trials and tribulations of watching someone you love continually fall prey to their addiction. It is a heartfelt, vulnerable, insightful, and at times humorous look at exactly what this podcast is trying to speak to on a weekly basis. I hope you'll join us for the entirety of the interview, as these episodes are by far the most rewarding for me as a content creator to produce for you, our audience. Thanks so very much for spending some time with us, and I hope you find this episode as rewarding to listen to as I did creating it. Welcome to the Save vs. Poison podcast, the podcast dedicated to gaming, general geekery, and enduring sobriety in an ever-maddening society, with your host Will and two guys that probably live under his stairs. If you're an addict, know an addict, or are just interested in exploring the outer mysteries of geekery, you're in the right place. Without further ado, let's get to the show. Just slip one past the goalie and suddenly, boom, boom. <laughs> Prego. That's all right. That's okay. Uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. My name is Will. Uh, I am your host. Joining me tonight, he's a dirty, filthy St. Louis Blues fan who lost a bet, which is what brought me out here. I don't know who the winner in this is, but right now he's sitting across from me in full Blues regalia while I'm only wearing the one Colorado Avalanche shirt. He's my friend, Doug Hamilton. Doug, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I'm happy to see that. Wait a second. I'm not happy that you won the bet, but I'm happy at the results of the bet. Yeah, what is that? Like, like I win a bet, and then I have to spend money, but I get to see you guys. Hey, That's a good deal. That feels like a good deal, but like my bank account looks a little more drained right now than it should. <sighs> yeah, well, I work as an artist, so mine never looks good. Never looks good. I'm going to need you guys to come to Denver sometime. I'm, I'd to love to Denver. come to Denver. Um, I went out for an Avs game. It's probably been 15 years now where some friends in Colorado... We're like, hey, we got tickets to the Avs game on Saturday. I'm like, I'll take them. And they're like, you live in St. Louis. I'm like, but I have a car. <laughs> so it was an afternoon game against Dallas, and uh, they they sent me the tickets out, and me and a buddy drove out and uh, went to the game that afternoon. That's all right. All right. So in the in the in the warm up conversation, we have literally talked about you being now a Blues fan, which is painfully obvious to anybody that has to look at your bulge right now. Uh, you were an Avs fan before that, and then before that, you were a Detroit fan, but you've always had the Colorado Avalanche, uh, or not the Colorado, sorry, the uh, St. Louis Blues as, as home. That's, that's, that's home team. The, blue, the Blues are always my number one team. Um, I, I love the game so much, so there's, 
there's just other teams that I'll follow because they have they have great players. Like like when I followed the Avs, like we were talking about earlier, you know the the Adam Deadmarsh and the Hayduke and the Sackick and the Forsberg and the Waugh and Bork at the end there, and you know it was it was just great hockey, and I, I love watching it. And what brought that up is I set up my Avs jersey got stolen out of my car because I had gotten an Avs jersey like the year before, and it was gone. Um, the Detroit part, I, I mean, it's hard to say I like Detroit, but I always love the Russian hockey players. Yeah. And like I mentioned, my, my daughter's named after a Russian hockey player. But Detroit was the first one to bring in a bunch of Russians, and they had like five of them playing, and they were so good, and they're fun to watch, like you know Fedorov and uh, Kozlov and Konstantinov. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not so much about the team as it is great hockey players. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, you play the sport. You're a fan of the sport. Like as much uh, as much uh, shit that you sling as a Blues fan in favor of the Blues. It, it, I one of my favorite uh, Stanley Cup commercials was I want to say like oh five six or oh six seven, and it was um, it was back when uh, ESPN had coverage, and they had they had the they had this blurb of a bunch of hockey players playing puck and everything and. There's this crowd chanting in the background in unison, and it's there. Hockey is meh. We are all hot. Blah blah blah. The very last line was, um, "We are all one big hockey family, unless you have the puck." <laughs> and I love that so much because I find so many different people in my life that um, have a connection to hockey or have or still play hockey, um, like. My plumber, one of my electricians that helped with uh, doing the basement, um, the way that I met, uh, actually, the way that I uh, introduced myself to you was knowing that you were a blues fan. Uh, so when, you know, coming up to you and, and being able to talk about geek, but also being able to talk about hockey, that, that yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a weird bridge that. because um, the geek side doesn't normally cross with the, uh, you know, with the... Um the sports side. No, not not always. Right. Because there, there was time, I think it was my 40th birthday party, where I had my gamer nerds coming, and I, mean, I had my hockey guys coming, and they all sat at separate tables, and within about 30 seconds, one of the hockey guys had broken a beer and dropped shit on the floor, and, you know, and the, neat, the, the nerd guys are all quiet, sitting over in a corner. These goddamn uh, barbarians. Pretty much, <laughs> yes. And that's what it looked like, because my hockey guys are big, rowdy dudes still, that we're all in our 50s, they're big, rowdy dudes. Yeah. And, my geek guys are still quiet and sit in the corner. Yep, yep. I, I've been noticing that there, there, it has been more like cross fandom. Like I've, I've, I've met a couple of uh, of geeks who are like really big, big into football or baseball. Um, but yeah, I, I still think that that's a pretty, pretty big cultural delineation. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because there's only so many hours in a day. Well, and, and you start getting guys like Henry Cavill, you know, Superman. Yep. And he's like, hey, I play miniature games. And people are like, what? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, super, he, he's literally hoisted to Superman status. Yep. Yep. He I, I love it. Literally has Superman chest, shoulders, and arms, and loves painting him some custodies, <laughs> yeah. which is very cool. Paints toy soldiers yep. also. The, the amount of, uh, of coverage that he got... Uh, that was really kind of like like the the interviewers all looking at him with one raised eyebrow, going, "Really? Right? Yeah, yeah. That was that was it yeah. was fucking charming. It, it's it's amazing. I love it. Yeah, you know. And he is he's not shy about it. It's like Vin Diesel with his Dungeons and Dragons stuff, you know. And everybody like, "What?" I'm like, "This is great. Yeah, yeah. this is so good for for 
exposure. Like, we don't have to be in the basement and in the closet anymore. Right, hidden away. We get to be Cause, nerds cause in public. I, I'm older than you. In the 80s, you know, it was, they're like, what are you, oh, devil worshippers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, no, we're actually just reading books and making stuff up and not getting in trouble. Uh, you know, your, your star athlete over there got drunk and drove into a tree or something like that. or and After well, he got his girl, his cheerleader girlfriend pregnant. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, we, we, slay, we slayed a couple dragons and had a couple of meads at the bar. And, uh, yeah, that was our Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, we drank too much Mountain Dew and ate too many Cheetos. That's exactly what it was. The, the, the volume of Mountain Dew that we went through. Uh, yeah, copious. But now copious. it's uh, you know it's all more mainstream, so um, it's it's been a good thing and a bad thing. But uh, for me, it's uh, man, it's a my mom was proud to see that all those all those soldiers that she bought me in the in the '80s that that they were getting painted and uh, you know it it was good. So I'm happy where it's where it's evolved to. That was interesting to watch the evolution too, because when you were a kid or when you were doing it, uh, you know, in the decade before i got into it um it was the the whole devil worship thing when i got to it it was just sort of something that would peer group exclude you to the point where i didn't tell like girls i was dating for like six months like they'd have like emotional buy-in into who i was as a human being before i would like like that was the skeleton my wife currently is here at the convention with us and all that I can think is, thank you so much for letting me buffer that first six months before I told you, hey, I have toy soldiers, hey, yeah. I put on uh, ridiculous looking clothing and go hit other dudes with foam sticks and pretend that I'm Sir Blah 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 <laughs> on the weekends. I, I can relate to that. Um, when I have brought a date home or uh, they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, you yeah, know, I think we're, uh, we're probably done, aren't we? <laughs> no, because like uh, you, 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 there's always there's always a way to try to figure it out. I was like, well, I uh, I'm an artist. Oh yeah, well, what kind of art? That sounds really cool. What kind? Well, I make toy soldiers. Toy soldiers, uh, action figures. You make action figures? Yeah. <laughs> do, do you play with them? Well, yeah. Like in Forty Year Old Virgin. And now I'm painting his silver pants blue. That's right. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that one yeah, before. Yeah, no doubt, man. Uh, I love the idea of calling them action figures and me just wryly looking at them and going, they don't do much action. There's, yeah, they're, there's, there's no kung fu they're having about here. As, about as much action as I would get when I told them what I do. That's exactly Not right. <laughs> Doug, how's your, uh, how's your con going so far, man? We're only, we're only like day and a half in. So this is... My con's going great. Um, this is a home show for me. Um, we're here in St. Louis. I live about 15 or 20 minutes from where we're at right now. Uh, it's the last show of the season for me. And I've had, a, I've had a busy couple of months. Normally I don't do a lot of shows, but uh, my company has realized that they like having me at shows. Uh, there's a lot of benefits. You know, people like to come and talk about the models, about the game, about hockey. And I don't have a problem talking to them about it, so... We did, we did Gen Con in uh, August, which is a big deal. If you know anything about games, you know that's probably sixty thousand people. It's the big game convention. Yeah. Um, so that that's a basically a week for us, you know, with setup and everything, and uh, a little bit of time to recover. And then uh, the owner of my company, Matt Wilson, 
Uh, he and I went and did an event out in the New York, New Jersey area. It was kind of a, a small event, and it's not something we've ever really done where he and I went to to something, uh, just the two of us, but um, it was an introduction for the new version of our game, uh, War Machine. Um, right after that, we had decided to send um, a couple of employees to the World Team Championships, which is a, a special format where every country sends at least one five-man team, and they play against another five-man team. Whoever wins three of the five games advances to the next round. Uh, but it's a big deal. It's it's often in either Belgium or in, uh, I believe, Poland. Uh, it rotates around, but in Belgium a lot. Uh, they've been doing this for over 10 years now, and we've never sent anyone for a variety of reasons. But we were finally in, at, a, at a point where we're like, all right, we're going to send a couple people out. And they had asked me about a month earlier that, like, we're talking about sending um, – couple of people to WTC in Belgium and uh, you know you're our first choice to go do you want to go I'm like yeah I do and so they're like okay well and, and, and some of it is because I get along well with the community but also they know I can travel you know I'm yeah. my passports ready to go I'm good to go I've traveled before I've been to Europe a couple times uh, for War Machine um, usually it gets turned into a vacation also and sure. it's just another chance to interact with international players or promote the game or me to see something really cool. I mean, if you're going to hop the pond, uh, take advantage of everything you can. That's right? and, and that's what we did. So John Swinkles, our convention coordinator, he and I went over. We did WTC, had a great time. Uh, I think it's it's about 300 players, you know, and it's it was at a resort. Um, it's off-season, so the resort's kind of empty, so we kind of had the run of the place. Uh, they provided meals, uh, like buffet-style meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Damn. Uh, the bar was open at 10 o'clock in the morning until, I don't know, midnight. I mean, it was it was a really cool setup, and uh, we got to go. We got to, People were excited to have us there, and it was a big deal. Not only did we do that, though, but then we're like, we're going to rent a car, and we're going to drive from Belgium down through France and do some stuff in France, and then back up through Belgium and to the Netherlands for a few days, and... Eventually, we'll go home. And that's what we did. We had a great time. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, getting to have a, a con in, like, your backyard, that's very cool. Getting to travel for geek work. Yes. It's, I mean... Uh, for somebody to... Well, it, I'd, I'd never really been out of the country. Uh, I mean, when I went to high school in Puerto Rico, but that doesn't really count. <laughs> but uh, I hadn't even been out of the U.S. I'd been all over the U.S., but... Um, the opportunity came up not too long after I started Privateer to go to um, the Czech Republic for an event that they wanted me as an artistic guest. And so that's when I got my passport. Well, about a, a week after I got my passport, St. Louis was playing up in Vancouver. So I was like, hmm, maybe I should try my passport <laughs> out. So um, I met up with uh, my, my friend Jeff McMartin. I don't, he may or may not know him. War Machine player. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know Jeff. Well, yeah, Jeff and, yeah, I, Jeff and I are buddies on, uh, yeah. on Facebook. Super and, great uh, guy. Yeah, super great guy. So um, Loves the tacos. Yes. So we went up. We, uh, we saw the Canucks game and the Blues game, and we've done that uh, two or three more times since then. We try to do it every year. That's awesome. Um, we have a group now that does that. Like, like past January, we were going to do uh, – St. Louis was playing Seattle – for the first time on yeah. Friday night and then Vancouver on Sunday. So we were going to do both games. We did do the Friday game in Seattle, but the COVID border situation, we, we didn't want to get, we didn't really want to risk getting stuck. Man, so the, the plan, your team playing a new team to the, to, to the league. I found what that when, uh, when Las Vegas came into the league, um, the very first game against the apps was in Las Vegas and it happened to coincide with uh, a good friend of the show, Russ's uh, 
45th birthday. Nice. So we flew out to Vegas. That's awesome. Had that as a weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like, it, the weekend all totaled wasn't great, but that particular part of it was fucking awesome. Yeah. The, the locals were so incredibly excited to have not only a major sports team in their backyard now, but um, they were really jazzed about hockey, in particular about hockey. So uh, it's like it's uh, the their arena is located behind New York, New York, which is at the south end of the Strip, which um, is they they really built out that area to be fan accessible. There's a ton of like restaurants, shops, uh, great like if you're into. Like the bar scene, this isn't exactly the, you know, it's kind of off-brand for the podcast now. But back then, like, being able to go bar hopping in Vegas at the end of a game and have, like, the drinks not be the, the standard, you know, 7X markup of yeah. uh, if you're not gambling in Vegas. Uh, that that was, man, that was so much fun. We met a lot of locals and, and just had a great time at the game. Even though the Avs got blown out 7 oh, nothing. See, we won 4 to nothing. Yeah. Our... But see, that, that's great to hear about Vegas because in St. Louis... Uh, nobody goes downtown. You know, you go in, you see the game, and you get the hell out. Um, just because we, per capita, we're like the highest frame rate in the country. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it, it kind of sucks because we don't have that kind of um, setup like, like Vegas would. Or, yeah. You know, even even to some degree, I mean, um, Vancouver or Seattle, at least there's not, not the best cities in the world, but uh, uh, St. Louis, just nobody goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we went up to Seattle last year, and I was up there the year before that, and we had gone out to dinner. And the manager of the restaurant was so excited that they were getting a team. Uh, he comped all our appetizers. <laughs> uh, you know, he came by and talked hockey a couple different times. And then uh, so then that that next year, this past January, we went up there, and um, my buddy Aaron from up there, he had his Blues jersey on. Aaron GB. Yeah, and uh, the section we were in was almost all blues fans, you know, and so every time we'd score, we're all crazy, uh -huh. and we're doing St. Louis chants, yeah. you know, it, it, it was just really cool, um, flying up there on the plane, there were a group of us that were all blues fans, you know, we all had our stuff on, and we're like, yeah, everyone's just blues game, and so it, it, it was a good experience, I, I got a, I ordered a puck from that game that, you know, has like a, a, a sticker on it that shows the first, you know, the first game, St. Louis against Seattle, and yeah. that. so it was a good experience, so things like that are fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. Speaking of good experiences, my name is Will, and I am an alcoholic. Uh, you're a recovering alcoholic, though, Will, and that's a big deal. I am. That's uh, part of it. So I, one of the things that, not only being friends from gaming, just seeing what you're doing with that is uh, an inspiration to me. Fuck, dude. Right in the feels, right off the bat. You're supposed to say, my name is Doug. I'm not an alcoholic, but I pick my friend's nose and then wipe them on Will's shirt. That's what that's what I was expecting, but you went right for the fucking feels. Great job. Fine, we'll redo it. My no, name is no, Doug. No, and, no, this uh, is this is I'm, better. <laughs> I'm, I'm not an alcoholic, okay? It's fine. <laughs> I can pick my own nose. You Leave can, me alone. You know how. You've been yeah. trained. I might right. do it now. So <laughs> uh, let me let me turn away so that it's a surprise at least a little bit of a surprise what side it's coming from. So yeah, uh, back to uh, me being an alcoholic in recovery. Thank you, Doug. In recovery. Uh, Back to that, though. Um, so, conventions are weird for me. I have a hard time at conventions because my standard way of meeting people has always been either... Uh, has been some kind of, of, of use of my wallet. Since I've been a geek uh, in my adultness, I have been able to, um, to parlay the 
reasonable living that I've made into kind of uh, using the mooch factor in geek culture. And I don't say, I say that lovingly, um, uh, to basically kind of beer and booze my way into, into circles. And I'm finding that the last two Warfare Weekends, which are the two, uh, two events that I've been to since I've been sober, these have been the two hardest events for me because I don't have, hey, I'm just going to buy around for everybody over here, come over, say, hey, my name is Will, I bought the round, I'd love to meet you guys and hang out for a couple of minutes. I did that um, at every single one of the lock and loads that I did. Uh, the entirety of me creating the outdoor kitchen was all in an effort to gather people to me so that I didn't have to, uh, one, that I didn't have to go like try to pick and choose. Um, I could get as much exposure to other people as, as I wanted. And uh, two, it put everybody kind of on, in my sphere of influence in terms of me being able to be exactly the, the, the kind of host that I, that I love being. Uh, so I talked about this a little bit last year at the end of Warfare Weekend uh, on the podcast, but it's, it's, still, it, it's still there in the back of my head. One, you know, there's other people drinking here, and I can now see where the problematic drinkers are, and that's, um, that's, uh, that's been interesting. But two, you know, not being able to partake in it, it has, has, I, it's, got a, it's got a weird chilling effect, and it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to describe, but I, I do recognize that in order to cultivate the type of environment that I want around me, I have to either stop trying uh, in general, or I have to develop some more social skills to bring people to me uh, in the in the way that I most enjoy. So um, while I'm not struggling personally with cravings, I do miss the ability to use uh, alcohol as a social lubricant, both internal and external. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't really drink a lot myself, but at the shows, everybody is like, oh, let me buy you a beer, let me buy you a beer. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. I don't really even like beer that much, uh, kind of thing. So, uh, I, I mean, I'll do, it. I'll do it socially, but I can't, I can't sit and just drink and drink and then lose the next day, you know, or not feel great the next day because I drank too much. Yeah. I, I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's, it gets a little, I, I get where you're coming from because fortunately I have the games where they want to talk about the games. Yeah. So I can use that as my lubricant, but when it, when it comes to let's go get hammered or, uh, you know, drink this or like, like, like I have booze that I brought back from, uh, um, Europe that was given to me and they're like, yeah, you got to drink this. Uh, some of my friends might, I just don't have enough interest. Yeah. If I get to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might taste it, but. I have no interest in it. Would have been gone before I got on the plane, Doug. I believe that. Yeah. Uh, because I know how it works. Yeah. Really quickly, you said that you're an artist. You work for Privateer Press. What do you do for a living? So I, I do work for Privateer Press. In fact, I'm coming up on my 10-year anniversary with Privateer Press. Mazel. Um, if you don't know what Privateer Press does, we make tabletop miniature games, uh, toy soldiers that people paint. There's rules for it. There's books about it. Uh, it's a game you can find all over the world. A lot of people, a lot of people play it. Ten years ago, I happened to uh, 
know how to sculpt models uh, on the computer, which was something new, and 3D printing was just starting to to rear its head and, and be usable at, at small scale like that. So Privateer was actually coming to St. Louis for this show that we're at this weekend, and two days before that show they put it up an ad for a, a digital sculptor, and I responded to that ad. I happened to have some friends uh, in town that we had a mutual friend that was working at Privateer uh, making rules for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, see if you can get me 10 minutes with them. And uh, they're like, yeah, we'll give them a couple of minutes. And they happened to send down uh, a guy named Ron Cruzy, who is, to this day, is still my boss. And uh, our creative director at the time, Ed Burrell, they just happened to be at that show. Ron never goes to shows. But he was at, one, at that one. Uh, we we met, they set up the, uh, to meet him Friday morning. We met for... Man, as soon as, as soon as we started talking, we started talking about World War II games and World War II stuff like that. We're close enough to the same age, and uh, you know, I had my portfolio with me, and he looked through it, and we were ten minutes in the conversation, and he said, "How do you feel about moving to Seattle?" And I was like, "This is going pretty good, isn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> so he said, "Well, uh, you know, Ed's going to come down. Uh, we'll talk to him too." And long story short, uh, they they came down. They liked my portfolio. They gave me a freelance job to do. They sent me an offer letter a couple weeks later, and a month later I was in Seattle. That's all right. So not not a bad deal. Uh, I mean, you you made it sound like a, like your current boss, right? Yeah, we'll give him ten. We'll, we'll give him a couple of minutes. I I, I had a very uh, uh, Godfather esque uh, picture in my head of what this meeting. You know, a violin in the background. Yeah, well, uh, so when you're at shows like this, there's there's a lot of um, aspiring artists, young artists, good artists, bad artists. Uh, they all they always want to show the work to you know people that work in that industry, so I I know that it can be overwhelming uh, because these guys have things to do at the show and and you know people want to talk and show them what they can do and there's a lot of people that uh, that would come by and show what they can do but it just wasn't quite ready for for you know the those kind of jobs and they. Uh, Having seen that at like Gen kind of things like that, I, I, I knew it was going to be hard to get time. Um, it just happened to work out, and some of it is because I knew some people that were able to buy me a couple minutes. All I needed was a couple minutes. I knew I, once I started talking, I knew I could yeah. buy more time, and it, it worked out great. Yeah. You know, and uh, especially for me, because I had I'd been out of school for a year. I was actually, at that point, work. I, I got my bachelor's in digital animation. I was working on a master's in education as a backup plan. Um, so it, it, it kind of worked out okay. That's all right. Okay. Yeah, so that answers, that answers, uh, question number two. Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> you're, you're okay. All right. So you answered question two. Question three, did you set out on your path in digital sculpture to do something in the gaming, uh, industry? Was that, was that like goal from the start? I, I, I think, uh, I think yes. I think Somewhere along the line, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I mean, I started getting miniatures in the 80s. And, um, you know, some years back, I guess it was the late 90s probably, I had stopped up at the game store to play a card game. And they were uh, there were a bunch of dudes in the back throwing dice. And they had uh, all these toy soldiers and tanks and ships. And uh, they were playing some game called Warhammer. And Heard of it? Yeah, and they had... Books with drawings and uh, dice, and uh, they were painting their toy soldiers, and I was like, oh, "What is this?" And uh, I left the shop that day with a box. 
think I had a box of uh, Warhammer Fantasy Zombies. And then about two weeks later, a army box of whatever edition they were on, Tyranids, came out. And I was like, here we go. And it was on from that point on. Um, so when I went, and, th and that was, like I said, late 90s. So I would do um, some trade shows here and there because I was working in transportation. And so I would help companies get their, their stuff into convention centers or, you know, help with the transportation into things. And then I would also, a lot of times, help them with their demo teams. I would get myself and a couple of buddies, and we would just cut a deal. It's like, hey, get us badges, you know, get us our hotel room. We'll do eight hours a day or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, some kind of deal. So I think I was planting those seeds early, and then in 2007 when I went back to school for digital animation, um, and it was starting to feel a shift towards uh, doing digital sculpting, I, I think I kind of knew then that um, as much as I would have loved to work for Pixar or Luke's film or whatever that, I knew that uh, I, I loved doing miniatures and I loved the idea of sculpting, even though I had never sculpted before. I just wanted to create, mm -hmm. and uh, it just kind of it kind of fell into place at the right time. Yeah. And I I had drawn pictures and um, wanted to do comics when I was younger. When I first got out of high school, I was going to school for cartooning. Uh, I just got sidetracked with life. Yeah. And uh, so at thirty seven, like yeah, yeah, and it. it what happened is that at 37, I was working for a transportation company. We had a driver not show up, so I had to jump in a truck and do a delivery. And I took it over to this grocery warehouse. I had one pallet, and uh, I had a pallet jack. I was about to pull it off, and a driver came by on a forklift and goes, Don't you dare touch that. Um, and it, it was a union warehouse, and so his job was to take that pallet off. And he made me sit there for almost an hour. Um, it would have taken 10 seconds to pull it off and get me out of there. But the way he treated me and he, how condescending he was, yeah. I was like, I'm done. I'm not playing this bullshit. Um, all I wanted to do was get out of there. And uh, at that point, I started looking at uh, doing something. And uh, it took me a few months to find a program that I wanted, and uh, off I went. So at 37, with a wife and a kid, I was changing shit up. Yeah. I. Community college, university, um, art was institute a, kind of a thing. It, yeah, it was kind of an art institute kind of thing. Um, honestly, it wasn't a great school. Sure. Um, and I was so desperate to do something different that um, I think I knew it wasn't a great school, but I, I, I still learned stuff. Sure. You know, I, a couple of teachers that I had were really good at what they did. Um, they just, I, I needed more. The, the plus side was at 37... I knew this was my last shot at changing things. Um, so I put in a lot of time and a lot of hard work. And the kids I was going to school with, I say kids because they were fresh out of high school. They're mm -hmm. 19, 20, 21. Um, they had zero work ethic. Um, they they were happy getting B's and C's, which would have been fine in high school. But you're um, you're not even the best in your class, and you want to get a job at you know an animation studio or a game company at a big animation yeah. studio and, uh, company. You're not, yeah, the, yeah. you're not even the best in your class you're sure as hell not going to uh, be some of the best in the world or you know in in an area it's so they didn't have the motivation i did they told me i was an overachiever i said no i'm i'm really not i'm just hard worker and uh, so that's I, I mean i just i just put in the time uh, and it's... they they didn't want to it's so fascinating seeing people that like have had to work shit jobs that then go back and take advantage of their educational opportunities because they have had to, you know, create a work ethic. 
yeah. along the way. And then they they apply that work ethic to something that they actually want to apply yes, it to. 100%. So e- even, at, even at Privateer, when I first started there, it's a lot of young artists. And while I got along pretty well with people, uh, none of them had ever worked hard. Mm-hmm. You know, they had always been artists. They had never loaded or unloaded a truck in 100-degree Missouri weather, yeah. you know, for multiple days in a row. Uh, they never had to do that hard backbreaking, you know, unload an ocean container that's stacked from the floor to the ceiling with, you know, little boxes, and they all have to be separated too. Never have to do that kind of work, you know. Yeah. They'd always just done art stuff, and they were good people and they were really good artists. But I don't think they had the respect or the appreciation for what they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I came in and I was like, uh, some of what I think was a little bit of fear. Like when I was first a privateer, the my feedback wasn't real. I don't want to say we're good. There was no feedback. Okay. You know, I was just like, am I doing okay? I just yeah, cross yeah, country, yeah. you know. I'm not one of those guys that needs a, you know, a pat on the back. But every once in a while, you know, I'm like, hey, uh, am I keeping my job? Is it okay to move my, my, my people up here? Or, you know, and uh, there was one day where my boss was like, hey, you could be a little faster. Well, then I realized I was faster than all of them. <laughs> you, you know, I'm seeing a guy crank out, you know, you know, eight sculpts in a year, and I'm, you know, I'm doing 25 to 30, yeah. and I'm just like, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> and then when I started to see, you know, how my work compared, um, it, it, and there were some really good sculptors there, so that really, being a competitive person, yeah, I'm like, man, those guys are really good. I think I could be better. And whether I was or not, I tried to be. Yeah. And that... For me, that's all the difference in the world. That's so. huge, man. I mean, I, I've always thought that uh, that a lack of any kind of critique was always worse than negative critique. Because at least with negative critique, you have a direction that you can go in opposition to that critique. Yeah, and I have no issue with a, a negative critique. I'm, I'm thick-skinned. I mean, you look at the community of War Machine players, they know how to critique a person. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Negatively. Uh, there's... there's, there's <laughs> Online is a shitstorm. It's always a shitstorm. There's never... Like, it, it is. And, and, I, and I say that. I, I mean, I, I have way more people that, that truly love my work. Yeah. You know, there's always a handful that are like, this is shit. Yeah. Like, hey, what are you doing, Hamilton? This is shit. I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's where I'm like, hey, buddy, I'm a company guy. Uh, they tell me what to do, and it looks like the art they wanted, so... Ta-da! Uh, sorry! <laughs> yeah. Paycheck came in. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, while... Uh, you're at work. What's a what's a day look like for a digital sculptor at Privateer Press? Well, so I've been I've been working from home for six years now. Yeah. So way before COVID, um, six just over six years ago, uh, I got a call. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. It was terminal. Um, I was in Seattle. She was here in Saint in the St. Louis area, a couple hours outside of St. Louis. Um, my aunt called and said, uh, "If you're going to see her, you better come home." And um, so Privateer said do you want to go remote? And uh, there were some talks about remote previous to that, but, you know, it's just something we had never done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, are you going to go home? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, see you. Like, like literally that quick. That's. And I'm like, do I lose money? Do I lose benefits? Do, you know, they're like, no, you just don't have to come in anymore. Yeah. And so I, I, within a week I packed up, me and the kid packed up, and we drove cross country. Uh, we spent three months with mom. Uh, had we not moved back, I I don't know if I'd have got to see her because it's it, it's expensive to fly back and forth. Yep. So uh, and then a year later, dad was diagnosed with the same cancer um, during in, in terminal also. 
But during those times when I was uh, running them back and forth to the hospital, um, privateer was so supportive. Uh, Sherry, uh, the owner, uh, she would call and check on us. Mm-hmm. You know, do you need anything? Uh, days where I just had to last minute run run my dad to the VA hospital. Uh, she's like, that's fine. Do you need anything? Uh, you know, or, or I'm like, I can't work tomorrow. Okay. Do you need anything? Do you need us to send anything? Do you, you know, it, it was like that all the time. That's, that's and that right. and that's also why you'll hear uh, if someone wants to critique our game or our rules, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but talk shit about my coworkers or are the owners, I'm going to defend them. Yeah. You know, I have reasons too. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on it soon, but when my kid was in rehab, uh, Sherry sent her letters. The owner of the company sent her a letter encouraging her, um, you know, Jesus. just encouraging her. Yeah. Nobody does that. No. You know, so, uh, I'll go to war for these people. I mean, I have, I have, I have friends that will check on, in on me. But I don't have anybody uh, in my professional life um, that that has taken the time to do things like write a letter. Like, yeah, then this is the owner of my company. Now, I, of course, a little little caveat there. I haven't had to do rehab. It's never been that bad for me. So that might put this a little bit into into yeah. a little bit well, more perspective. And but. on top of that, it, it, as much as uh, we have roller coaster rides with our community, you know, the the supporters of War Machine. Um, we're gamers. We're we're an odd bunch. The number of people I've had come up this weekend, because uh, again, it, it's my home show. A lot of people come see me and hang. The number of people that come up, uh, hey, how's your kid? How's your daughter doing? Yeah. You know, uh, and they're not doing it to make small talk. They're doing it because uh, they've kind of, they've they followed along this adventure because I'm I'm, I'm pretty open about mm-hmm. you know that that adventure. So, um, you know, people are sincere and checking on it. And um, again, that. Uh, the way privateer handled things uh, gets a lot of loyalty from me. You yeah, know, it goes a long way. That's 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 really good to hear. Uh, just just as a you know, kind of not a postscript, like midscript. Um, I sent these questions out to Doug. He didn't answer them before we started the interview. So a lot of this is going to be just him telling me exactly what his responses are without me having uh, any any prior knowledge. I am not a uh, um, I'm not a prosecutor or a, uh, you know, defending attorney. I didn't, you know, ask the questions and then, re- you know, expect a, a, an immediate response. I just wanted to make sure that they were all above board. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's really good to hear. Um, it's unscripted. Yeah, it's, it's, well, your part is, mine is. <laughs> mine is unscripted. But, uh, I got, I, I feel like I always got to make sure that, uh, that the questions are, are written out. Otherwise well, and, and usually we have mind. to run our questions through, you know, through HQ yeah. and, uh, um, I was curious if that was <laughs> well. It, your basic questions I've answered before. Yeah, you know um, your audience probably hasn't heard them, but some of those questions are they're normal for you know gamer podcasts. Yeah. Uh, but the other questions that you had for me, uh, those are those are things that need to be talked about. Yep. You know, and and I I have no issue talking about things because if I can help somebody, the conversation we were having before we started recording. Yeah. Um, if I can help one person, man. Yeah. Yeah. I... There's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of sentiment uh, in the community that I'm that I that I'm a part of, not that I'm uh, in charge of, that I'm a part of. So yeah. Uh, so back on track. Uh, the parts of your work that you that get you out of bed. Yeah. So on a Sunday night, you know, people are like, "Oh shit, I got to go to work in yep. the morning." On a Sunday night for me, I'm like, "Man, 
should I start working? No. <laughs> because I get to work on cool stuff. I really do. Um, even something I don't like is still cool. Yeah. Uh, and there's almost nothing that I don't like. I'm, I'm literally making monsters and robots and weird shit. And uh, then I get to go to a convention and people have things that I've made that are playing on the table that they want to talk about or that they painted up or they ventured into a competition. Um, so it, it's easy to uh, it's easy to get out of bed and work on my stuff. Yeah. I haven't purchased a Privateer Press product in a couple of years. And sitting right over there are the three models for the desk line that you uh, that, saw that, that you sculpted. In. Like yes. I was like, how could I have a fucking interview with the guy and not like buy his wares? Well, you gotta like, support me a little bit. I gotta do that at least, right? Yeah, and I appreciate um, that support. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. Uh, I love this game. I've always loved this game. It's a good game. Uh, I loved the company when I first got into the game. The very my one of my favorite memories of uh, of Privateer Press is showing up to uh, my first lock and load, which was 2012. The very first person that Russ played was Jason Souls. Oh, cool! Very first person. Yeah. We walk in. The Colossals are just being you know uh, released and hyped. Yep. He's got this beautiful Colossal that looks like a like a giant leather chair with guns on it. Like, it's, it's all done in, like, browns and golds, and all I could think is, that looks like a leather sofa. I would not want to fight on the battlefield, but, you know, if you told me that uh, you could cuddle up with it, all right, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we walk up, we're just looking at the, at, the, at, the, at the new model, and Souls just says, you want to get a game in? And Russ, sure, yeah. At this point in time, we have never played with anybody except for the two of, uh, to the two of us. It's just been the two of us trying to learn the game. Yeah. That was such a like fun culture shock, but it was so awesome that the very first person that we got to meet and play with at the convention was the lead designer of the games uh, of, of the game. Yes, still. Uh, yeah, to this day. Yeah, so that was you know that, that was pretty that, fucking special. You're right. not gonna get that with Games Workshop, right? Exactly right. And and it's funny because the Colossals, because I came into Privateer the year after that, but the year previous I was at Gen Con. Um, trying to get freelance work, and I was standing in line to get a Colossal, um, uh, the Retribution Colossal, uh, Hyperion, I think it was. Uh, yes, it was Hyperion. You know, and I stood in line for like two hours, and Matt Wilson came by a couple different times, and my press ganger buddies that were with me were like, oh, you should see Doug's artwork. It's really good. And Matt's <laughs> like, I bet it is. Sure it is there, buddy. Yeah, and I just didn't have anything with me. So um, the funny part is that it worked out okay, but then some years later, I redid some work on Hyperion and also did a new version of it called Helios. Yeah. You know, it was kind of just in some add-ons to it. But um, there's been a handful of models where I've been, I'm like, okay, we'll come full circle. But <laughs> yeah, that's a great story, though, getting to play Souls first. Um, man, Souls is one of those guys, um, he and I just got along good. Yeah. I mean, we still do. I, I don't see him too often now, but we're... Sure. It's always... You know, it's always good to catch up with him and see him. Uh, I, I think like any of us on the art side of things, we're just different, you know? So it, it's always good to like, run into one of your own people. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Uh, of the stuff that you've created, what do you find you have enjoyed the most? I mean, there's there's models that I have that are my favorites. Um, you know, usually it's some kind of monster. I think the... The thing I enjoy the most though is seeing, seeing the models in stores. You know, people playing games in stores. Walked out of that hall down there today where people are playing games. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, I see my models on the table, or they want to show me their models of mine that they painted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't even matter which one it is. They're excited about it, and um, that inspires me. You know, it brings me. You know, I'm like, man, I got to make more. I got to make cool stuff. I got to. Um, so it, really, it's that. I, I mean, I have a handful of favorites, but I've done hundreds of models at this point. Um, some of them I've probably forgotten because I'm old. Sure, sure. But there, there, there's a few standouts. Uh, there's a couple of monsters, um, Azrael and Zuriel from yeah. Legion. Yeah. You know, they're two of my favorites. But then there's some of the smaller characters. Um, there's a there's a like this Amazon feral woman called Iona. Yep. Um, she's one of my favorites. She's just a she's a thick, beefy badass. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got big old legs and you know broad shoulder, and she's just an ass kicker. Yeah. And she looks great. And uh, people love her because they're like, "Oh, she's so solid," and, and <laughs> you know, because I, it for me, I um, people ask, they'll always have, "Why do you, why do you sculpt a model like that?" or um, "Why do you have that thigh showing or a butt cheek showing or uh, you know this showing?" I'm like, "Because I live in a real world, you know, and um, you know, I I enjoy the shapes of the, mo- the models, male, female, monster. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's there's just a way to make it appeal to people, and uh, you know, so being able to sculpt wild." crazy monster uh werewolf people and uh it's just fun and um i get a lot of enjoyment researching it um making them look cool making them not your typical um fantasy um i don't i don't know the word to use for it but definitely not tropes i like variety yeah yeah yeah, they're not tropes they're they're um like I said, I live in a real world, so uh, I like real proportions, and I like, uh, you know, I like gravity, and uh, and I try to convey that realism and uh, to to my models and their physique, and you know, it's not all uh, the same body type like like some models can be. Yeah, yeah. no, I I'm totally stoked for uh, for the desk models. Those are getting painted on stream. Yeah, I look forward to seeing them. I, I, I want to I want a uh, I want an audience for for putting those together and uh, and getting some paint well, on. Well, you know, I'll uh, if you let me know, I'll I'll broadcast it on my page. Cheers. Right some on. people to check it out. That'd be all right. I'd be all right with that. Um so uh, a little a little bit deeper. Uh, you have talked about the possibility of Animators working for larger studios. Larger studios come with, you would hope, things like uh, the potential for larger paychecks or more responsibility or um, to be able to say, you know, that Pixar, I did that Pixar. So what parts of your life have you had to sacrifice to be working for Privateer Press? Because while I love the story of uh, the owner sending letters to your daughter in rehab that's that is such an important um an important thing for for you know even even like family and friends to do but to have somebody in your company that's way you know way above you sending that out that that that's that speaks a lot but there's got to be stuff that you've sacrificed in in, in the litmus that you have for working for a smaller company like Privateer Press. Yeah, I, I mean, really, from the start, even before it was Privateer, uh, they were sacrificed to go back to school at 37 with, uh, you know, I, I don't know how long I had been married at the time, uh, but married and with a kid, and uh, in, in a career at the time that I'd been in for, I don't know, 15 years, 15 plus. Um, 
So I was still trying to work full-time and go to school full-time. So there was a lot of um, missed things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I went to school every night. I worked every day. Uh, weekends were homework and portfolio work. Um, it, it, it was a pretty hyper-focused situation, so... Um, so there, there were probably people that didn't get the attention they needed, uh, whether it was Allie or my wife. Um, moving to Seattle, um, things things went astray. You know, I, I got divorced in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily because of the privateer, but sure. you know, it's all kind of in the same thing. Um, you know, my, my, my kid became a drug addict while we were in Seattle. Um, was it because of privateer? No, of course not. But the path that took me there, those are things that happened on that path. Mm-hmm. Um, had we stayed in Missouri and I had stayed in transportation, would those things have happened? Uh, maybe not. Maybe. I, I don't know the answer to that. But, sure. um, you know, you can always second guess when something something negative happens. You're like, well, what, what could I have done differently? Mm-hmm. Uh, what if I hadn't gone after this opportunity? Um, so, uh, and, and even now, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty hyper-focused on what I do. Um, I'm pretty linear, you know, working by myself. I, I don't count on anybody for anything. So mm-hmm. uh, I know that I can leave people behind or um, do my own thing, and I'm happy doing that. Yeah. You know, so it's hard for me to deviate from, not because I'm selfish, but just because I, I can just do everything myself. You know, and, and some of that could be my age and, and, and you know, my uh, generation where, uh, you know, we, we do like to do things for ourselves. We don't want, a lot, we don't want to count on someone else. Uh, we just want to get it done, kind of thing. Um, you feel vulnerable when you do have to count on somebody else. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I, so, like this year at Gen Con, we had a great crew. This is the first year where every single person pulled their weight. And in the past, it, it, and we only had like eight of us, uh, plus the owners were helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the past, there's been times where we've had 20, 20 plus people at, at a Gen Con, and I'm looking around, and it's still only eight of us doing any work. Yeah. You know, and it drives me insane because um, if I say something, then I'm an asshole. Um, but we have so much work to do, you know. So yeah, it's hard for me to rely on somebody else or to um, to to depend on someone else to try to get something done. I'd rather just do it myself. Yeah. Uh, so and and that's not the best thing to that's not the best mindset. Um, but I know that I know that things are going to get done the right way. I mean, if you found a niche where you can. Where you can work like that, then that's great. And I have. I mean, but like, if you're in any place that requires a certain, you know, a, a larger level of collaboration, yeah, that. Yeah, that, and that, and it, so when I was working on my masters, um, there were group projects. Well, having having, well, I was working on my masters. I was also teaching in a college, and teaching general education and that, and um, it was virtually impossible to assign a group project because. Um, there would always be one person that would do all the work, you know, and however many other people were in the group, most of them didn't want to do the work. Yeah. And uh, so then the person doing all the work would be upset because they did all this work and uh, everybody else is getting a similar grade. So I, I understood that. And then when I was assigned group projects, I'm like, this is going to be a disaster. And it was every time. Yeah. So That's so frustrating that they can't yeah. like break out group prod. Look, you're in a group of three. One person's responsibilities will be X, Y, and Z. Another's yeah. will be A, B, C. Well, especially with online classes. Yeah. yeah. You know, online classes, you know, that person can hide behind their monitor or just not show up. And yeah. They don't actually have to face their teammates, you know, their their project mates. 
So it, 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 that, that could be, uh, you know, relying on the person in that situation. Um, but with, with my job, I, I don't really have to rely on anybody. Sure. So I, I get my concept art, I do my project, and I, I turn it in. Uh, I had people ask that, you know, that have been working remote the last couple of years with COVID. They're like, man, how, how do you do this? Uh, well, it takes, it, it takes some discipline. Sure. You know, it takes some motivation. There are days that I don't start my work day until 10 or 11 o'clock, but I, I also go till 8 or 9 o'clock at night uh, because I don't have to follow normal rules. Yeah. Um, but it still might be 10 o'clock at night. Sure, sure. Um, slightly lighter fare. Do you like being famous within your niche? Uh, Is that fun? It's it's fun. It's um, it's three days, every three months. You know, I always, I always joke that that events like this, I'm a I'm a zealous celebrity for three days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it goes back to uh, you know being obscure and not heard from for a while. Uh-huh. So what, but as busy as the last couple of months have been, I, I was just telling. Um, I was just telling somebody the other day that uh, I've had my fill of um, being popular. For, I, I'm ready for a winter off, you know, just get some work done, uh, <laughs> refresh. You know, I've, I've got my fix with all the shows that I've done recently. Um, I'm a little tired. I'm a little worn out. So I'm, I'm looking forward to just some normal work days. I don't think I can get enough of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired right now. We, we've yeah. done a lot. And with the Mark IV release, and uh, there's been a lot of late days, uh, I'm just tired. Yeah. I get that. I do. Uh, in a good way, though. I mean, not, not, I'm not upset about it. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm having a great time. My wife and I have been going through a period of heightened stress because the kids' schedules with the beginning of the school year, with our uh, basement getting finished, with um, me possibly taking a new uh, full-time position at one of the hospitals that I work at, all of these things are good things, but they're all still stress. Yes. They're yes. all, like, good stress is still stress, and right. you got to have some kind of tool to be able to deal with all that stuff. Right, and, and I've, I've had a great time. I'm not, I'm not complaining about the, all the shows. The stuff I've got done just in the last couple of months, it's been amazing. So I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm just getting old. All right, so famous in a tiny niche. That comes with it, a little bit of uh, parasociality. You don't know them nearly as much as they know you. Of course, right now, we're adding into that, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, now, we are. my 16 listeners will know a little bit more about now. you. 17 now, yeah. Um, how do you deal with, the, with the, the parasocial relationships where people come up to you and throw out, hey, Doug, uh, and, then, and then launch into automatic friendship where you haven't you you know nothing about these people yeah it's it's actually tough because with social media i'll get random messages um all the time and and they're all the intents are good and i answer them and we might have a a conversation multiple paragraphs um off and on over a couple of months or uh, most of the time right before a show it gets it gets busy um, sometimes it's people just asking questions about what they want to sculpt models, but then we'll get to a show and that person will come up and they don't look anything like their Facebook icon. So I have no idea who it yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a couple thousand follower kind of thing, you know, and, uh, I don't remember names well. So, 
Um, I, I, I do the best I can. Yeah. Um, but at, at the end of the day, uh, we start talking about gaming stuff, and it works out fine. Yeah, your personality is able to smoothly transition between the awkward first few moments and... The ability to um, to bullshit <laughs> until I can figure out who I'm talking to. Because yeah. sometimes it just takes, oh, remember when we talked about this? I'm like, all right, now Got I know it. who it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, when it's like, yeah, remember we talked the other day? Keep going. <laughs> about? Yeah, you're going to have to give me more than that. Well, yeah, I'm such and such. Third fact. Yeah. <laughs> One more. Uh, but it, it's, you know, most people are super um, super excited to talk. You know, even if it's just about their games or they want to show me what they're working on. Um, as a person that was on the other side for, for decades, you know, I, I, want, I remember wanting to talk to the artists and the people that design games. So I will never blow somebody off or mm-hmm. ignore them or um, I've seen co-workers uh, in the past that they're kind of condescending or they look down on people I'll never do that yeah I can't do that um, I've had people that oh we sign my books or we sign this uh, yes I will if, if you want me to sign a hundred things I'd love to do that because yeah. uh, the fact that someone wants me to sign something or draw a little picture on their book fuck yeah every time yeah uh, I, I just can't say I know that because I'm flattered and humbled by it yeah uh, it when you say that, it brings to mind Big Fish Little Pond, but Big Fish that is happy to be in that little pond and does not look down upon it, anybody it, else. And comes comes to that position with humility and a genuine enjoyment for yeah, absolutely. For it, the, and it, for the and it's one of the reasons that you know I do get along so well with most of our community. Yeah, uh, is because um, it wasn't that long ago I was, I mean I was just a community member. You know, I just was able to uh, find a job where I, I could be on the other side of things. But yeah. um, I'm not going to forget going to the shows and going to Gen Con and wanting to meet artists or have them sign something or talk to them about their art. And I remember uh, most of the time uh, they would take time and talk to me, you know, and I don't forget those things. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because I've, I've run into a few of those artists over the years and I'm like, you don't remember this, but you talked to me at one of the shows when I was trying to figure things out. You know, and that, that means a lot. So uh, I try to do the same thing for people. Yeah. That's, I'd, all my dealings with you, I've never seen you be anything but uh, absolutely open and kind to, to the people that and come I, up to you. That, eat, like, if I'm in a bad mood or even just a little bit testy, I could totally see how that would be very difficult to, uh, it can be. to keep up. So there's there's a switch. Yeah. You know, there's a show mode switch. Yeah. Um, and it's not that it's, it's, it's a totally different person, but it, it, show mode takes a lot of energy, you know, because you have to be at a certain level the entire time. Uh, especially, like, even shows like this where uh, it's casual, but because you're right here with everyone all day and most of the evening, um, it, it, it drains you quick. Um, you know, if I could just, if I was just working the booth and I'm done after eight hours, not as bad, but uh, like when we're done, I'm going to go downstairs and probably play a game. Yep. You know, or if I walk through that lobby and people are sitting there, they're going to want to talk. Yep. And uh, I'm going to stop and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. That's all right. All right. So uh, we've given a beautiful hors d'oeuvre here to everybody. Everybody's got their first course in. Now to some meatier shit. Meaty shit. Uh, meaty shit. Now you have uh, already talked about the fact that you have a daughter. That she's been to recovery, that she's an addict. 
what are your thoughts on, uh, what are your experiences with, with addiction? So for me, um, I don't have any addiction. Like I've never been addicted to anything. Food maybe. But as far as like drugs or alcohol or anything, like that, I've mm-hmm. really never had an issue with that. Um, I have seen it in my family, so I recognize it. And I also, I, I, I do have a bit of an obsessive personality. Like when, I, when I'm going to do something, I usually don't half-ass it. So I recognize that, I think from being around, um, you know, my dad dealt with alcoholism for a while. I had an uncle that, that dealt with alcohol, alcoholism and, uh, you know, some abuse, some drug mm-hmm. abuse. Um, so I've been around it, and uh, I was lucky enough to recognize it. And uh, I know that there are things that I just can't do. Um, like, I've never, uh, I've never gambled. Because I know what could happen. Yeah. Because I want to win. I'm competitive, and I'm, I'm obsessive. Uh, I know how that can turn out. And I don't want to do that. Um, I've never done drugs. I've, I've literally never done any drugs. Uh, I grew up around them. Uh, alcohol is the, the alcohol um, uh, it, it, I don't even know all the different drugs that sure. I was around uh, you know we talked earlier my parents were, my parents were young mm-hmm. and so uh, mom not so much but dad liked to do a lot of partying but they also had friends that would come down and um, our house was a party house and there were people doing all kinds of different drugs people fucking uh, it was it was wild And uh, my mom did a great job protecting us. We didn't, we probably weren't exposed to as much as we could have been, but we still saw some things that we probably didn't need to see. And I grew up around, you know, I saw people drunk and uh, falling into fire or pits because they don't pay attention, you know, or they think they're leaning against a tree that really isn't there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I saw a lot of that, and I I think I was lucky enough or smart enough to um, recognize that there are things that I should not do in excess. Um, even even drinking to this day, I don't drink that much. Um, I never really have. Um, even in my like my twenties and thirties, I'm, I'm I'm 52 now. In my twenties and thirties, uh, my friends are getting hammered. They're drinking a case of beer. I just never did. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it though is because I didn't want to lose the next day. You know, being hungover or the next two days. And um, I thought as a parent, setting that example would. Uh, you know, work out, you know, hey, uh, here's dad, you know, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs, uh, man, that's, that's not necessarily how it works. Yeah, and no, it's not. It, it, and for people that don't deal with uh, addiction, uh, it's easy for them to sit back and go, oh, where, where were the parents on that one? You don't know the situation. Yeah, there, there's so much depth to every one yeah. of these situations. And one of the things that I said even before, you know, either before, before my daughter kind of, you know, before, before she became an addict... Um, I like to think that you're, you're teaching them till about 11. And then after that, they, they're, they're kind of going to figure some things out on their own. Uh, you can still guide them. You can still give them advice, but they're at a point where they're going to start making decisions. Uh, am I a bad parent? Because my, and I've been asked this, do you feel bad that your daughter's an addict? Do I feel responsible? And they're like, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't do anything to, to make her an addict. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't abused. She lived in a, you know, loving household. She just happened to get in with a crowd that liked to do drugs and she tried it and liked it. Um, do, do I feel responsible for that? No, I don't. Uh, do I wish it hadn't worked out that way or done something different? I I do, of course. But, uh, 
you know, she's been an addict since she was uh, 14 or so. She's 23 now. And um, I'm the person that hasn't abandoned her. Yeah. Uh, and pretty much everybody else has. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you just, sometimes you just can't give up on a person. Because, uh, for better or worse, um, you know, there are people like, well, you know, they're never going to learn unless you hit them, let them really hit rock bottom. Um, you know, so what is rock bottom? Um, sleeping on the street, um, you know, in the freezing cold or the snow. So as, as, a, as a dad, uh, I'm not letting my, my daughter sleep well, on the street in the cold. Rock bottom's not a singular place. You can have a lot of rock bottoms. I agree. Uh, <laughs> like, there's a lot of different versions. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, the version that was sent to me was, well, stop helping. Uh, there are some things that I could change, but stop helping as in give up, you know, let her go. Don't, you know, let her figure out her own shit out. I can't do that. Yeah. You know, is there some enabling in there? Yeah, there was. You know, that's, as a parent, that's hard to not do. But you, you learn, you know, you learn to not you know, not enable as much, you know, but there's, there's not a booklet that says this is how you handle your daughter who's a, you know, who's a drug addict. There's just not, and, and every situation is going to be different. So it, um, you just, you just have to uh, weather the storm a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's fucking terrible. It is fucking terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm inside of it instead of it being, external to me so my my viewpoint is always uh clouded by the fact that i know what my inner addict wants me to do and Mm -hmm. i act in opposition to that uh, a lot of the time but for somebody who is dealing with somebody that doesn't have that isn't in recovery that isn't like actively seeking uh to to stay away from 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 their addictions um it's devastating. That's fucking I, I, devastating. So I, I think your example of when you say you're in the storm um, dealing with addiction, I'm in the storm dealing with addiction also. The difference is when you're in the storm, you're spinning with the storm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're part of the storm. Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of it looking at going, what the fuck yeah. is going on? Yeah. And how do I get out of the storm mm-hmm. with her intact? You know, so even now I, I can visualize what's going on because I, um, talking about addiction, uh, I mean, there's been so many times where I've been to meetings with her, and everybody in the room is either an addict or uses, and, and there's so many of these kids in there that are like, yeah, I mean, my parents got high together, or we did this, and, uh, you know, and the parents are like, yeah, we used to, and it would get to me and Allie, and uh, would be like, oh, and these people would be like, yeah, we can't stand our parents now, you know, we hate our parents, and Allie and I would get to each other, and we'd be like, yeah, we get along good. Um, we don't have issues, except uh, she she's a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not. And, and, and the, there are some meetings where we'd be like, raise a hand, you know, uh, you know who has used drugs or, you know, have alcoholism problems and that. And uh, I'm the one sitting there. It, you see the movie I Am Legend? Yeah. There's times where I'm at a meeting like that, and I'm like, I am legend because I'm literally the only one that isn't in that situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, it, it, it's not in a, uh, it's not in a feel good way, you know, no. it's like, holy shit, I'm, I'm, I'm the outcast here, uh, because I didn't, you it's know, a I weird didn't. place to have imposter syndrome. <laughs> it's totally weird. Yeah. It's, that's a, that's a weird fucking place for Yeah. Me. Yeah. You're, you're the, you're the outsider. Yeah. 
You don't? Uh, yeah. Um, my first IOP, well, my first and only IOP, uh, which is intense outpatient therapy, uh, I was definitely on the, the more mild, moderate end of the spectrum. And even there, I felt uh, very out of place. Like, yeah. there are people in there saying, oh, I'm... You know, it's my fifth relapse. I've, you know, uh, I've lost husbands and wives and jobs and, you know, spent time in jail. And I'm like, yeah, um, I just kind of had a blubbering mess of a breakdown and some really passive-aggressive gaslighting of my wife, which felt like the world was ending. But if I look back on it, like, the house is still standing. I still have access to my children. My wife says she still loves me, so. Lies. All lies. All fucking, especially <laughs> no. the house standing. <laughs> yes. That's fucking lie. Yeah, and and uh, man, there's always a worse story. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, one of the things that I say a lot is somewhere out there, there's somebody that has crawled back from a worse place than you're in right now. Yeah. Well, that's how I know you can do it. Right. Yeah. One of the things that that she and I will talk about is um, uh, because she she likes fentanyl. Yeah. Uh, and we know what fentanyl does. Um, there's no old fentanyl addicts. Nope. Nope. So that does not happen. Nope. Yeah. Um, well, what sucks as a parent is you have to prepare yourself for that end result. You've had to prepare. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I've literally. Yeah. I, I. Well, and I told you before we started. I'm like, I have prepared myself for that, and um, and had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where I've walked in, and she was dead on the couch. So it's like, well, this is what you prepare yourself for. See if you can get her back. Uh, you know, get nine one one here. Get her Narcan. How did you prepare? How do you prepare yourself for something like that? Like Man. she, she, she. So at the time of this recording, Allie is still alive, correct? She is. She is. Okay. She is alive. Uh, every day is a, a challenge. Yeah. Uh, literally, when my phone rings and I see her name, uh, I'm like, is this the call? You know, is this the one? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of these times, it's going to be. So how do you how do you how did you prepare yourself? Like was it just just a slow buildup of individual events that all barely ended in her not dying over a period of time that allowed like because that first time that you hear oh my daughter you know needed to be Narcan or she would have died like that's I can't imagine how that would feel as a parent. Uh, I think on when you told me what happened the last time she OD'd and the feeling that I, like, I almost cried. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it's hard for me to tell the story. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, but I need to tell it, you know, uh, people need to know. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> and as a parent, you don't want to believe it. Cause I can tell you, this has been going on for, um, you know, seven or eight years or whatever now. Um, and when it first started out, you're like, ah, no way. Or, ah, oh, it's a phase. Or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, well, she'll, she'll grow out of it because there's no way my kid's an addict. I, I mean, I've never even touched drugs. Why would my kid be an addict? And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, every time I think it can't get worse, it gets worse. Yeah. Uh, it, it, just, it just gets worse each time. So uh, this last time, this was about six weeks ago. And then I found out the week before that, um, someone had an Arcaner, uh, you know, that she had gone to a club with. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I'm like, what the fuck is your deal? I mean, this isn't a contest to see how many times you can get Narcan. This is why, you know, I say I say the words, there's no... Like, I don't think there's a, such a thing as a single rock bottom. Like, listen to you talk. All I heard, like, four rock bottoms in the span yeah. of five yeah. minutes. And I'm like, right. Jesus fucking Christ, this is, yeah. like... Well, and, and, and I, like I told you, uh, I'm open about this. I'm open about it. Um, you know, it... Does it suck that it's happened? Yeah, am I embarrassed or something about it? No, uh, I'm not. I, uh, if I can help her, I will, and I try to. But if I can help someone else or help a parent accept that, oh, shit, my kid actually is an addict. You know, it's not, this isn't TV. I, I've got to do something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mentioned earlier, I, I, I had two of my friends. Uh, yeah, well, that was what, the next question I was going to ask was, how do you have the energy to help other people when you're still dealing with... You're still in the eye of the storm here. Like, uh, you're, you're not past it looking at it through, like, Solomon's fucking wisdom. Man. You are l having to deal with it on a daily basis, and you've got people that are, like, you know, that maybe aren't specifically looking to you, but that you want to give advice or thoughts or, you know, worse comes to worse, just, just saying, hey, you know, I am also in the same storm that you are parent of addict. The the answers so there's two answers I'm gonna give you. Um, the first one is how do you deal with that? Um, I'm really good at compartmentalizing. Um, I picture my mind as like um, this is gonna sound dumb. I picture like the Titanic. Sure. The Titanic had sections. Yeah. You know the bulkhead, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know to keep it from sinking. Not that it worked, and I'm hoping mine works out a little bit better. <laughs> than that. Uh, but I can put it in that bulkhead and lock the door. You know I can put it. And I may have to go back in there, you know, and so uh, there's stuff stored in each of those those rooms. Uh, and over the years, I would take a little bit of it, you know, because it's too much to, to deal with at once and put it away and put it away. And some of it's a disconnect, too. Um, and some of it's like, man, you, because when you first think about it, like, man, my kid's going to overdose and die. Uh, that's fucking terrible. Yeah. And I don't want to say it gets easier because it doesn't get easier, but... After seven years or so of this, uh, I have accepted that there is a, a, a good chance that's going to happen. It, it, it'll crush me. You know, you know I mean, it, you know, you're not immune to. Yeah, she, she's, you know, she's my only kid. She's my girl. She, from the time she was born, she was, uh, you know, my mini me, um, and and still to, uh, you know, she kind of still is. I mean, she's the kind. She's like, um, she'll call me and ask me every question. Dad, how many pieces of toilet paper do I use to wipe my ass? Uh, are, you, are we asking this one again? You know, it's four, but don't rip it. Yeah. And I'm making that up. But it, it, all, I can, all I can think is, two, add one for all the poo you get on your hand until you don't get poo on your hand anymore. It, it's literally dumb shit like that. You know, but she's, hey, Dad, what do I do on this? Or how do I do that? Or what do you think about this? Why are you asking me that? <laughs> and I think it's just, um, you know, she wants to make sure that Dad's still there. Yeah. Um, because everybody else has ditched her because she's an addict. You know, um, I mean, I'll hear from her mom, so I, we don't, I, we're not on bad terms, but we, we don't have a reason to talk. Sure. Um, I'm really worried about Allie. Well, I'm sure you are, because you haven't had to deal with her for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. You know, you check in every once in a while when your book club decides, uh, you know, it's your night to be dramatic. Right. Um, <laughs> Fuck. Shade. Not pulling punches. That was good, dude. I'm not making this shit up. <laughs> I know you're not. 
Uh, I know you're not, dude. That's you know, but yet here I am. I, I'm like, well, I got to find a new rehabber. She's been in rehab five or six times. Yeah. You know, she. I'm down. I'm gonna kill myself. All right. Well, let's get you to the hospital because I don't want you dying in my house again now. Um, so uh, yeah. So compartmentalizing on that one, and um, as far as the energy goes to. Uh, you know, to, to deal with it, to, to do my daily job, to do this. Um, I'm just fucking stubborn. Uh, I, I just don't, I just don't quit. Mm-hmm. I just don't give up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I picture myself as like, um, you know, Atlas holding the, the world up. And uh, he just can't stop, you, you know. So uh, I picture myself, you know, I'm, 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 I'm this, this, Titan trudging through mud and water and shit and whatever it is, and uh, you just got to keep going, you know, and it doesn't matter what you're going through. Uh, somebody else is relying on you, you know, whether it's a kid or whether it's my friend that's like, oh my God, my, you know, my daughter is having suicidal thoughts, you know, or they're, you know, they're self harming or something like that. What do I do? All right, man, let's have a, we're going to have a talk right now, and it's not going to be a good talk, but. Yeah. This is what you need to do, and uh, your, your wife, uh, you and your wife, need to have a talk about this too, because it's going to destroy your relationship mm-hmm. if you don't communicate over this, uh, because it 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 did mine to some degree too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would start to like, yeah, my wife wants to do this, and I want to do this. You, your kid's gonna have issues, and you're gonna be divorced. Because uh, it's it's it is a storm like we were talking about. Yep. It and it, it's it gets out of control fast. Yep. So uh, when those guys have those questions or they need help or they're just like, I, man, it could even be a text where they ask me something and I can feel the pain, you know, and the almost desperation, uh, this disbelief, you know, in their voice. Or if they call me, I, I mean, I can feel it. I'm like, God, I gotta help these guys. I yeah. gotta. I gotta tell them what I know. Do you feel validated when you do that? It doesn't matter if I feel validated. Um, I'm just asking a very, yeah, very human question because I feel validated when somebody asks me for help. Like uh, I had a I had a friend that they were struggling with the early portions of recovery and a ketamine addiction, and yep. they reached out to me, and I like you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter for the story of them that I feel validated, but it it gives me energy to continue one being sober and two continue to have the energy to uh, to be able to reinvest that in other people. I guess I, I guess I never really thought about it as validation, but um, sure, yes. Um, thinking about I help my friends. Um, yeah, that I, I feel good that I help my friends. Yeah, it sucks that they have to go through that. Um, it sucks that I go through it, sure. but if I could, if it was just me going through it and I could keep everybody else from having to go through that, I'd take that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't even think I'm, I'm not that person that's like, I'm going to help everybody. I'm not I'm, like we talked about earlier. I'm, I'm very linear. Yeah. I'm very, I'll take care of my own shit. Uh, but when it comes to that, man, I don't want those people. I don't want my friends and those parents. I don't want any parent. I don't want a parent. I don't even know. I don't want them to have to go through that. Yeah. Um, but if I can tell them what I've gone through and um, it gets their kid help early mm-hmm. where uh, they don't do seven, eight, and I don't know how many more years I'm going to have of it, uh, man, it's, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, 
I'll take the time to do it. Mm -hmm. I'll take that call when they need it. If I get that message, uh, can you talk? Yeah. Yeah, I can. What's up? You okay? Yeah. I'll do it. Uh, I, it, I've been there and, uh, I'm, I'm I mean, my phone could ring right now because she's going through shit again. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so when you go through your, um, addiction, uh, if you're going to meetings or anything like that, one of the things they tell you is like, don't, don't, you're already married. But they'll tell people like, don't, don't get in a relationship and definitely don't get in a relationship with another addict. Yeah. Uh, well, she does those exact things every time. Yeah. Into a relationship uh, with another addict, and it it turns into a uh, a disaster because um, the example I give her because I'll I, I'll totally think she just she doesn't listen. The example I give is like, look, I like tacos. My friend likes tacos, and we're going down the street and we pass Taco Bell. I'm like, man, I really want tacos. My friend's like, oh, dude, we're on diets. We don't eat tacos. You're right. Next day we go by Taco Bell. My friend's like, man, Taco Supreme sounds really good. I'm like, we're on diets. But the next day we go by and he's like, Taco Supreme, Taco Supreme. Yep. And there we go. So, yep. um, and I tell her, I'm like, I'm not a drug addict. I, I you know, but I understand um, because I like food. And while it's not fentanyl, I get the concept, you know, and I had to learn that, uh, because when, when she would come in like, well, I'm depressed. What are you depressed about? I don't have, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Um, so there's, there's a lot of education there. And, uh, for, for some people, for people my age, I think, uh, you know, we're just like, well, why, why are you depressed? And then eventually you find out, well, it may be nothing. It's just a, just something that happens. Might not be a reason they're depressed, or it might be a reason they don't understand or know. Uh, why are you doing drugs? Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, one of her answer, one of her answers is, "I like being high." Okay. Well, how do we fix that? Well, it's I, I don't know how to fix it. Uh, she likes being high. Yeah, there's a root to that. It's not just it, yes. There it, is the the end result is I like being high. That's not the causal. There's a causal somewhere, yes. and it could be. It could be one thing. It could be seventy things. You right. like it's so much more than just any one simple answer. Well, and as a parent, you want to fix it. Yeah, but you don't know what to fix. Yep. You know, well, maybe it's this. It, and if they can't tell you what it is that's causing it, you can't fix it. Yeah. And you may not be the person to fix it anyway. It it it's a for someone that didn't know much about addiction seven years ago, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I I mean I like I said I. I've never, I tell, I've never been a drug addict, but I've been to rehab six times. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've never, uh, I've never used drugs, but I've overdosed five or six times now, mm -hmm. you know, because every time it happens to her, it happens to me. You know, when I find her dead on the couch, uh, I was dead on the couch for a minute, mm -hmm. you know, looking at, looking at her mouth open and her, and, and you know, and, and her, her, uh, you know, no pulse and purple lips and purple eyes and uh, a cold skin. Mm -hmm. I, I was dead on the couch for a second. Yep. Everything she does, she drags me through. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I'm sure you recognize that. Uh, uh, you probably didn't recognize it for a long time, that you drag somebody with you through it all. Um, I, I did, but it wasn't enough to stop it. That's so. When my favorite way of talking about addiction, my favorite uh, description of addiction is anything that brings you 
pleasure that has an associated negative that you can't stop compulsively doing regardless of the negative. Yeah. That's what an addiction is. So it could be it could be anything. It could be booze, drugs, shopping, yeah. uh, food, uh, exercise, it, working. It the, could be anything. Right. No cost is yeah. too high yeah. as long as you're getting yep. that what That validation, that feeling of being high, the full stomach, like whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one of the things she says, uh, you, you know, that first high was so good that the rest of it is just chasing the first high. Mm-hmm. You know, well, what if we mix these drugs? Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned uh, ketamine earlier. Yep. Um, I think I had heard it mentioned once in like a, in a movie where somebody's like, and this one's got uh, ketamine in the system. That's a horse tranquilizer. Uh, I think it was in Armageddon. They mentioned something about it. One of the guys are doing the Oh, tests. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, so I, I really never paid attention to that because, well, uh, you know, a year, and, a year and a half ago when some shit went down in Arizona, um, they're like, yeah, she was doing this, this, and ketamine. And I was like, the horse the tranquilizer? Horse <laughs> yeah, that's a new thing. You know, or I, they said it was a new thing. I don't know if it's a new thing or not. But, you know, they're like, they like snorted or something, or I, I don't even know. I, I honestly don't know. Uh, but I guess it's like a hallucinogenic. Um, it's a disassociative. So, uh, yeah. I'm like, well, hell, I don't know much about that one. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, I, I told you that story. In Arizona. Yep. Total, I, I won't go to the details on this, but... It's dark. It's, and it's, it's, it's super dark. Uh, like, it, it it makes me want to do the exact same thing that it made you want to do. Yeah. And I uh, I may still. Hmm. Well, you know. But you're in therapy. Uh, you've, we've, we've talked about the, uh, <laughs> the therapy that you're doing that's keeping uh, a couple of people above ground. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm... Uh, so I was one of those people that... that um, you know, when, when they're like, oh, you should, you should talk to somebody. Pff, come on, I don't need to talk to me. I'm a man. Sounds very familiar. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Uh, pretty much every man ever, <laughs> you know. And um, I, like, like right now, I'm, I'm not. Um, I did last year, though, and I, I worked out the issues that I needed to work out. Um, you know, I, like I told you, I, I took some abuse as a kid. You know, uh, yep. verbal abuse, yep. and um, you, you know, and I carried that into adult. Where instead of uh, figuring out how to deal with that, I used that rage and that anger, and that was my source. Mm-hmm. You know, it was my competitive source. Uh, it was my motivation. I mean, I would grasp that that rage like it was a power. Um, and there are times that it benefited me. You know, with sports, I, I mean, I've always been a, a good athlete and uh, played sports at a high level. Um, in hindsight, there was a trail of bodies behind me mm-hmm. uh, because it wrecked everything I went past, you know. And I didn't see that, you know. I just knew that I had this power, and uh, it got me whatever I needed to do, uh, you know, whether it was hit a home run or stop the puck or whatever it was. I, I mean, I it got me. And uh, you know, talking about it last year uh, with with therapists, it helped figure out why I had that and uh, what I could do to deal with that. Um, and some of that stemmed not only from, from my issues, you know, as a kid, but also dealing with the things with the kid, mm-hmm. um, with my daughter, what happened in Arizona was bad, you know, I, I mean, it, it fucked with her, but there's things that, that as a, as a, as a father, as anybody, you never want to see, but as a father, you never want to see happen to your daughter. Yeah. Um, so it, it pushes you to a, a, a bad area and a bad spot. And, um, I guess the point where I actually went to my doctor 
because um, I, I knew something wasn't right. And uh, I'm, I'm not a very emotional person. When I'm trying to explain the, to the doctor what, what was going on, I just broke down in tears. I'm just like, I'm like, what's going on? I've never been like this, you know, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just in tears. I, and I'm, and it's freaking me out because I'm just not emotional. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she had had me do a little test to tell me where I was on like depression and things like that. She's like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and put you on something. <laughs> like, yeah. And, uh, okay. you know, we tried something the first time and, um, I tried for about a month and I was just a zombie. Yeah. Yeah. That does happen. And, uh, I'm like, Hey, this, this, this isn't, so we switched it up and, um, even to this day, I still take the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not a big dose of anything, but it keeps me, uh, just calm enough where, uh, I don't want to kill anybody. I, uh, you know, I don't rage like uh, I would rage. I mean, the car in front of me could cut somebody else off and I'm raging. It didn't even affect me, but it's a reason to rage because I love to rage. Uh. You know, um, uh, whether it was a, an argument, well, my goal was to push that argument so it escalated into something physical because I want that rage. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Yeah, I would, I would consider that to be antisocial yeah, that's... And, and a little destructive there, Doug. <laughs> right, it was a little destructive. So, And there were things that caused that, but... Uh, Man, in the so in the last just over a year, uh, 14, 15 months, um, since dealing with that and um, you know you know getting on uh, you know low dose, uh, man, it's been so much better. Yeah, um, it's interesting though because I can uh, like like I I'm conscious of you know what I take, what I do, and how I do things, but I can kind of tell when when it starts to wear off a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because I can feel. Um, I compare it to, uh, there's a book series called The Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. So in that book series, the, uh, the, the magic people, you know, they, they can grab the source, they can pull the source, and it like fills them with, with this energy and this power, and they can do all these things. And they can bring more and more power into them where they can burn themselves out. But there's also an ability where um, another person with that power can shield them from getting to the power. And they know the power is there, they just can't quite touch it. And uh, for me, that rage... When, when that medication starts to wear off a little bit, I can start feeling that rage and I can get Your start, connection to the source is strengthening. Yeah, I can start getting just a little bit of a trickle of an into me, you know, and I can feel myself almost like looking around for, oh, <laughs> you know, like the power's back, you know. And, and I was like, you better go take some medication, boy, because you're going to yeah. do something stupid. Um, and, I, and, I, and I really don't. It's not that extreme. Sure. But but I can feel that, you know, and I can feel it there. And, you know, it's all... And, it, it's almost uh, taunting me, you know, uh, but I haven't raged. You know, I, I haven't raged in over a year, uh, and it's actually nice. It, it, it's nice to not get in that conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even online with, with, with gamers that want to argue. Which is such a fertile fucking field yes. to get into arguments. Yes. And number one is my position at the company. I don't need to be doing that. Number two, I don't have time to do that. Yeah. Um, and now I'm like I'm just like oh that's funny, I'm go back to work. Uh, I don't get caught up in it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I I mean it's hard. That's hard, something hard to accept and deal with, you know, because you're a man. Yeah, I can't do that. I don't need to talk to anybody. Uh, man, I'm glad I finally did. Yeah, that's good, man. Um, that's good. Yes, and uh, you know what? Probably saved a couple people. Probably. Yeah. All right. 
Just a couple more questions. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I get. Uh, no, no, I do. We can we can go on with this as long <laughs> as you want. That's I, I'm I'm fine putting. It's a good it. thing we didn't record the first. Every single minutes. one of you. Fuck, I, I don't I don't care if this is a six hour episode. You listen to every goddamn word of it. All right. <laughs> um. How do you what? Where are your boundaries? How do you set them up? Uh, when I first when you and I saw each other last year, I met your daughter. It's the very first time I've met her. I instantly thought, uh, one, she's beautiful. She's pretty beautiful, which is such a blessing and a curse for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Because she can get the kinds of attention that are destructive. Absolutely. And she loves the destruction. She, that was the other thing Mm -hmm. that I could tell from that, but it was a very cursory, like I, if she never looked at me twice with recognition, I wouldn't be surprised at all that she that she didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that night, though, I noticed that when you were interacting with her, you had very firm boundaries in place. Where what what are those boundaries now? What boundaries have you put up since uh, since that time? Do you think? Um. <clears throat> So, a couple things on that. First, she's thank you. She's she, she's a pretty girl. Yeah, she's um, stunning. She has uh, my family's personality. You know, we're we're outgoing. We can mm-hmm. talk to anybody. We're, um, you know, we just communicate well, and she is great at it. Uh, she's also a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a family trait. Uh, so she. Um, <laughs> She uses that power. There's somebody right now going, Will's being manipulated by Doug. Uh, right possible? now. Right uh, now he's being manipulated yeah. by Doug. Uh, right. I mean, I'm not walking out of here without a yogurt. <laughs> uh, straight from the tap, Doug? Right. Yeah. No, that's not that. No. <laughs> Thank you for the offer. My pleasure. Uh, boundaries, though. That's, that's probably the hardest thing. Um, because, as a, so, I had a great relationship with my parents when they were alive. Um, I don't think I took advantage of it. Um, I think there were times where they helped me out, and there were times that I probably should have figured some of my shit out on my own. Uh, but they were also a safety net where I could try crazy shit, like move to Seattle and take a job at 42. Right. Um, so I knew I had a safety net, and uh, I always wanted to kind of give that feeling to my kid that you can go try shit. I didn't mean fentanyl. Right. You can try things, and I'll be there for you. Um so setting boundaries has been the hard thing because I just expect her to think like I do and she doesn't. Yeah. Um, she thinks she thinks about two hours ahead and that's it. You know, there's not, what am I going to do tomorrow? It's, what am I going to do in two hours? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just no vision of the next day. So setting up boundaries for something like that has been the one of the biggest challenges. Uh, there are times where I have good boundaries, but there's also times where I just fucking up every time. Mm-hmm. Um, like um, she'll get kicked out of a place. Dad, can I stay with you? <sighs> Fuck. Yeah, I guess. And then people around me be like, "Why are you letting her back into her apartment? Your apartment?" Well, in my mind, she's an addict. Uh, she's gonna go find a place that she can stay in, and it it might be some dude that's gonna get her fucked up, and uh, you know, abuse her, mm-hmm. or um give her something that she can't handle and she dies 
and then they just roll it out of the car into a ditch. Uh, because we've been real close to that a few times. Yeah. Uh, I have no doubt that that could happen again. Like even when we move back to St. Back to St. Louis, St. Louis has a high crime rate. Yeah, we're like number one per capita. Yeah. Uh, I try to tell them I'm like there are areas in St. Louis you don't go to, you know, you just can't go there. And uh, I have a tracker on her phone, and I'm I looked at it one night. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing there? That is the worst part of town. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was taking a friend home. I bet you were. Uh, and so it doesn't matter because, oh, it's a bad part of time, but I can get fentanyl there and it's really cheap. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, back to the boundaries. Um, man, I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, there are days where I'm stronger with my boundaries. Um, I can tell you that since, since I found her on the couch six weeks ago, I have disconnected with her a little bit, which is hard. Uh, you know, it kind of breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah, of course it does. Um, and I think she's disconnected a little bit too because maybe she's realized that she really fucked up. You know, I, I, I don't know because I've thought that before. Um, she called me this week, um, a couple days ago, that the guy she was seeing, who is also a drug addict, um, got back on something, um, became abusive, I'm like, physically. She goes, no, just verbally. Because I told the guy, I'm like, if you hit her, I'm going to hit you ten times harder. Yeah. Uh, so, and I will. Uh, my record's clean, so I won't do much time. <laughs> but uh, they get into this this big argument, and, um, you know, he's abusive. And um, she's like, uh, she, they got him checked into a hospital. And um, she's like, Dad, all the stuff he's saying, I'm like, I've heard this all before. I'm like, yeah. She goes, it's all the same shit I've been saying to you for years. She said this. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, I'm so sorry. So she's in tears. You know, I'm so sorry that I treat you like that. And and I don't want to be, uh, you know. Cynical. Cynical about yeah. it. But I've heard yep. these things before. Yep. You know, so it's hard for me to say... Um, you know, it's hard for me to be like, oh, you know, I accept your apology. or And I didn't. I'm just like, yeah. So remember the other night when you were texting and you were saying, um, he's saying this to me and blah, blah, blah. And there's, I'm like, take take your name out and put my name in. And take his name out and put your name in. I said, and that's what you do to me. And uh, she's like, I know, I'm so sorry. And she's going on and she's crying. And, you know, and it was pretty emotional. But... Now I've disconnected enough on that where if she's finally sincere, I don't know if I can take it. I don't know if I can accept it. Yeah. You know, or believe it. Yeah. You have to show me more than that. Well, apologies are wind. Well, and also, and I've told her, I'm like, you have financially taken a toll on me with the rehabs uh, and the wasted money and not being able to keep a job. Um, I, I, I mean, the same day she called me, what she didn't tell me was she also got fired that day. She had a job for about three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. First time she's worked 40 hours in maybe her entire life at mm-hmm. 23. Uh, this is about her seventh or eighth job this year because yeah. it lasts about two weeks. And it's like, um, you know, whether it's a party thing or some bullshit excuse or, yeah, they wrote me up because, uh, you know, I was 15 minutes late. Or I told them uh, I was supposed to be in at 9, but my first appointment wasn't, wasn't until 11, so I told them I'd be in at 11. Like, that's just not how the real world works, mm-hmm. kid. 
Uh, why? Well, you know, I was tired. Yeah, because what are you using? You know, and she tells me last week, well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting high right now. I'm not doing any kind of drugs. You know, and he is, so now I'm upset. Well, you're upset because he's doing drugs, but if you were doing the drugs, and, and so I, I've gotten very cynical over it the last month and a half, two mm-hmm. months. I think I finally hit my breaking point where I'm like, I don't know how much more I've got left in me. Yeah. You know, I, I still can't quit. I still can't give up, you know, but I've gotten to a point where I'm a little less, uh, you know, connected on it where I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm disconnecting a little bit more. And she was told, she was told a couple days ago that, um, you're, you're going to lose your dad, you know, um, it's you're you're ruining that connection, uh, and I've also told her similar. To that, I'm like, you're gonna lose your dad because you're stressing me out so bad that you're gonna cause health issues. You you know, worrying about it and dealing with it. I'm like, um, you know, I'm I'm reasonably healthy right now, but man, who knows? You know, that's seven years of stress. You know, of wondering if you're coming home or mm-hmm. if I'm getting a call that you're dead or, uh, you, you know, I'm like you, you gotta. You gotta stop, but addiction is addiction, and it. You, there's there's nobody that can motivate an addict to stop. That's the problem. That's so much of the problem is you want to fix. There's no way for you to fix. It's right. it's completely it's an internal struggle that they have to come to, yep. Yep. and say that was that was it. This I if if I go any further, the things that I will lose are now more important to me than whatever feeling I'm chasing. And I th- I think that's the point I finally hit like just now is that I'm like everything I've done I've given everything I have um I can't fix her she has to fix herself yep uh and that's that's hard because I've I've poured seven years into Mm -hmm. trying to fix her Mm -hmm. and man I have done everything I've gone at every angle and uh, uh I've spent every penny I have uh my parents when they were alive you know helped out um and I told her the other day I'm like I've got nothing left you know I I can't uh it, like her car's broke I'm like I don't have any money for you anymore yeah you know I put uh, I put the money on it to get it repaired the last time a couple thousand dollars I'm like that you were going to pay me a hundred bucks a week on um you did it twice you 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 gave me 200 bucks total I'm like well now I'm trying to pay it off on my credit cards mm-hmm. um I, I can't, I, I just can't get The well anymore. is tapped. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it was, too. I told her, I'm like, I'm out. I'm tapped out. Yeah. So, um, you know, that and maybe that, it, it the whole disconnect, it's kind of all uh, coming together. And, uh, you know, she called me earlier today because because she was told, um, you know, have you have you called your dad any time recently just to see how he's doing? Did you call him to see how his trip was? Mm-hmm. Did you just call to say Hi. Uh, did you call, hey, Dad, when I get off work, you want to grab dinner, you know, or hang out? Yeah. And her answer is no. No, I, I, I didn't. I guess I should. Yeah, you should, but you can't think more than two hours ahead. Um, and you can't think about much more than the next high. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at on it. I, I know that you said, I think you kind of alluded to the fact that you were worried about the enabling thing. I actually think that opening your door back up to Allie in terms of, like, allowing her a safer place to stay i act, i think that that's the right thing to do and here's why there's a i don't know if you're familiar with this you 
very well could be. There's an idea of, that's called harm reduction. It's, it's the idea that, um, like, um, so I'm going to use an example instead of, like, giving the, 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 the broad strokes on the idea. There's a, uh, there was a clinic in Vancouver. Uh, so Jeff McMartin, if you ever listen to this, uh, shout out Vancouver, um, called Insight. Insight was a location where addicts could go and they had clean facilities for them to shoot up. They had nurses on staff with Narcan, mm-hmm. with uh, resuscitation. They did this because they found that when addicts OD'd, they got help faster. The, the help was less expensive than, um, than ambulance services and an ED visit. Um, that all around, because they recognized that you can't break an addict out of addiction minimizing the harm that they can do to themselves until they can get themselves out of their addictions um, is, is of high priority and of moral value. So I, I, I recognize the impetus to, you know, stand up and do it for yourself kind of thinking. Um, I don't think that was, I don't think it's wrong for you to open up your door and give your daughter a safe space to, to be. And I recognize how frustrating uh, having to do that on a regular basis can be. Yeah, and, it, well, you know, I, I face criticism for letting her back in when yeah. I do. And uh, what, what, what are you going to do? Literally, exactly. you, you literally, you literally pointed out what's she going to do. Go find a guy right. that's probably going to give her something and then has a much higher chance of leading to some other dire outcome in right. the form of assault battery, rape, kidnap, anything. I was in a, I was in a previous relationship last year and, uh, the person I was with, um, her kids are good kids. They, they're really not fuck ups. Mine's a fuck up. I know that. Um, but it's cold out. She has no place to stay. She's sleeping in her car and she came over and visited for a while and fell asleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. And I was told, well, she can't stay here tonight. All right. It's your house. But uh, I'm not forgetting that. Yeah. So, and I didn't. Um, I can't put my kid in that situation. Um, Does she, uh, am I enabling her? Yes, to some degree, because she can come to my house and she has a place to sleep and uh, she doesn't have a job. She has food to eat. Man, the, the alternative isn't a good answer. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think the moral position is to toss somebody out. I don't think so either. I don't think it ever is. And, I don't think it ever has been. I think that yeah. we convinced ourselves that it, it was. It, well, it's easy to it's easy to criticize somebody else. Yeah. You know, it's easy to criticize how someone else deals with their kid who's an addict because you don't have one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy for um, I can't remember if we talked about it while we were recording or before we started recording. It's easy for people to say, um, "Oh, where were the parents?" You know, that 17-year-old did this or did that. Where were the parents? Sometimes it's not the parents' fault. Yeah. Uh, uh, honestly, there's a lot of times it's not the parents' fault. Um, I, I didn't tell my kid to take drugs. Um, I didn't tell my kid to get in the car with a, with, with somebody that had been drinking. Mm-hmm. I taught my kid not to do that. But when she's 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, uh, most of the time those kids know what, what's right and wrong. I don't, there, there are times where the bad parenting is bad parenting, but there's a lot of times where kids, kids know from right, right from wrong at that point. 
you know, and as a society, we we decide what the narrative is. You know, oh, they're 17. Um, where's the parents on that? Or, oh, they're 17, they're bad. You know, it's it, the, the media decides how they want to spin it. You know, 17-year-old is uh, does this, oh, they're terrible. 17-year-old does this, oh, they have bad parenting. But they might be the same thing. It's just who's, sure. version of, who's spin on it. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I, but she, she, she knows what, what's right and wrong. You know, so uh, I, I see those stories and it, it irritates me where it's like, where's the parents on this? Those parents may have done a great job. Uh, I know myself and Allie's mom, um, we honestly, I, I feel like we did a good job raising her. You know, she had a caring family. She, uh, Her mom and I didn't fight. There was nothing uh, bad. There was no abuse. There was no, well, you, you know. Here's the thing. You may never have done anything overt that would be considered a tri- a where the parents kind of moment, right? Yeah. yeah. You have no clue. Right. We can look back on it. It could have been it it could have been it could have been like in my instance, um, it could have been specific withholdings at specific times in my development. It could have been uh, specific additions of negative energy to my life at specific times. It could have been any of these things. And they're probably were and they probably weren't anything that my parents were consciously deciding to do. Yeah. There's no way like blaming yourself for those moments like if you sexually abused your child, that's on you. But if there were things that your child needed that you didn't know about, they didn't know about or that they didn't need that were uh, he, you know, lumped on them that they didn't know about and you didn't know about. There's no way to look back on that and assign blame and have that be a a a, a way to uh, you know impinge on some someone's morality. That's that's right. Fucking backwards. Yep. That's absolutely wrong. Like and and the concept of blame is such a stupid concept. Yeah. The important thing is responsibility. And, moving and I, forward. I think when I was younger. You know, and I thought I knew everything. You know, maybe I was in my 20s or even my early 30s. I don't know. But, you know, I thought I knew everything. And, ah, oh, you did this wrong. You should have done this. Or you did this with your kid. I'm sure I was that kind of critic. Um, you know, it's actually being put in a situation where, like, oh, shit, I think I did everything right. I did everything I think. I think I did everything right. Yeah. Uh, but, man, there's a disaster. What happened? Uh, who knows? Yeah. And you, you can say internally and believe it 100% I love my kid I think I did as much right as I possibly could have and things can still turn out yeah and and make no mistake I I love my kid more than anything on the planet except maybe my dog (laughs) Uh, but and and everybody knows yeah you know everybody knows that's my girl Uh, she's my buddy Uh, like you know you you met her last year she came up Um, she may or may not come up this year um you know, I told her, I'm like, hey, you should come up and say hi to everybody, you know, because uh, so many people ask and want to mm-hmm. know how she's doing and they care. And I'm like, you know, and that's what it's funny because that's one of the things she's always looking for somebody to care, you know, uh, you know, uh, like some of these guys that she'll hook up with because um, she thinks they love her or, you know, she just needs that person. To, and I'm like, man, it doesn't work that way, you know, take. And she's like, well, what about, you know, grandma and grandpa, my mom and dad? They knew each other 10 days. And they got married. They were married for 47 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, that's a fluke. You know, that's just 
not how it usually works out. Please don't use the edge cases. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like that or, or, you know, because I I do a job I love. She goes, Dad, I just want a job that I love. Oh, man, I'm kidding. I don't know what to tell you. I mean. Well, what did you do before you had a job that you loved? Jobs that I didn't love. Yeah. It, it's know, it, that, it's not it's right. not an it's not A to B it's A to X yeah, and you got to go through shitty jobs right. J K and L first yep. like yep. and yeah. uh, it's, as an addict they want that ful- fulfillment now yeah they want instant oh yeah and uh, the the real the world doesn't work that way so it's hard for them to stay in the real world yeah yeah okay human question yeah. <laughs> Well, so I, I say human question because this is an easy this is this is an easy one to to blow off with the with the initial visceral response. Do you ever feel um, fuck? I forgot the word. I had it just a second ago. Sexy. No, I, mean, I know you do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you don't even shave your legs and Why you feel I? sexy all I'm the time. Fucking beautiful. Seriously, fucking beautiful. If you could see the veins. <laughs> He's got, he's, I, I swear, that one, it's throbbing right at me, it's Doug. Throbbing. That one's throbbing. It is. Right? Yeah. Big purple throbby motherfucker. You see him after I play um, hockey. <laughs> get that pump on. Um, <clears throat> do you ever feel resentful of other people that are in recovery that are making the best of it because you're still stuck? Man, I hadn't thought about that really. Um, no. I don't. Uh. If you're strong enough to get help, you. If you're strong enough to stay in recovery, uh, no, I'm not resentful of that. Um, if if something happened with my situation, um, but it helps somebody else, mm-hmm. uh, no, I, I'm not resentful of that. Um, I I mean I had a we talked about addiction I, and I mentioned it in my family. Yeah. You know, I had a um, a first cousin who overdosed. Uh, man, I think it was only a few years before my parents died. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of loss in a short period of time. Uh, she was a young, pretty girl. She had, I think, three young boys and uh, just got some strong stuff. Um, so I, I, I guess... Uh, no, I'm not resentful. I would... When I see your story... Um, except I, I remember earlier versions of you. Hey, the and last I, time, the last time that, uh, or the time that we really kind of hung out and, and, uh, started getting to know each other, I was drunk as a fucking monkey that entire yeah, weekend. Yeah. And, and I probably didn't drink anything that weekend. Uh, I remember you coming with me to the bar. I don't, I, I was too drunk to yeah, remember I, if you were. I just don't drink much. Yeah. And especially at a show because yeah. I'm, I'm technically, I'm kind of working. Either. Sure. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, yeah, I think you were. And uh, you were happy. You were happy drunk. Yeah. But, um, then. yes, then. But I think, uh, I think I'm more excited, uh, more excited about seeing you, uh, you know, how you are now. And, um, you know, seeing the podcast where, because uh, I know when I first saw it, I'm like, and you're talking about sobriety, I'm like, shit, I didn't, I didn't think about that with you. I didn't think about how destructive it was because I see, I saw you as, Happy Will. Hey, I'm happy. Let's uh, have drinks and, uh, you know, tacos or whatever. 
that's what I saw. I didn't see the destructive side because you went home after that. Mm-hmm. I went home after that. So I didn't have to deal with what happened behind the scenes. Yeah. No, it was uh, my wife that saw the destructive side. She is I'm you sure. in, the, in, in, in my story. I, I 100% believe that. Yeah. Um, but now I know how the, the behind the scenes looks. Um, so, no, I'm not resentful. Uh, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for her because uh, I know I know what a person deals with. You know, so no, I, I'm, I'll never be resentful. I think it would be okay if you were. <laughs> like I, I yes. think that I think I think that's that's one of those negative emotions that is for somebody that goes through what the family of addicts who are not in recovery or in recovery have to go through. I think it is absolutely justifiable that they become resentful not that they become blinded by it but that they experience that emotion in a short term i think that that's okay i think i have every right to be resentful and angry yeah Uh, i do too i absolutely do um and uh maybe there are days where i i am to some degree um but i i i don't think i want that to blind me from you know what the path i have to take or uh what i have to carry forward you know uh, I still believe that there's going to be a day where I still believe there's going to be a day where my kid's going to come and say thank you you saved me and nobody else did I want that for you both I want that desperately for you both yeah, and I'm trying, I'm waiting for it, you know, I'm not giving up on it, but, uh, fuck, yeah. you know, that's, uh, but that's why I keep doing it, because I believe that that day can still happen, uh, so as a parent, you know, of an addict, uh, that's, that's the day you want, Yeah. so, sorry, I knew at some point it was going to get to me going through all this. You don't have to say it. You don't have to apologize for anything, man. Not yeah. even a little. But I also, uh, you know, with your podcast, I knew there was a day that we were going to talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I knew that, like, when you sent me the list of questions, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a good one. You know, this is, uh, hopefully it helps somebody. You know, so. Or at least gets them thinking uh, what, what they need to do. And, uh, man, if it helps somebody, uh, I'm happy about that. I want light shine on this, man. I want light shining on this from every hopeful and kind angle. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, if somebody's going through this, I don't even need to know you. But if you need to, if you need to talk, fucking find me. Yeah. Because I'll, I, I'm, I don't have an issue talking about it. You know, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. Uh, let's deal with this shit. You know, let's get your kid help, or let's get your loved one help. Yeah. Uh, let's not find them in a ditch. Let's not have them die at 23. Yeah. All right, Doug. All right. How was that? This has been <laughs> this has been great. Yeah, I thought we were gonna have a pretty good one. Yeah. So yeah, I can't thank you enough, man. From the bottom of my heart. No, I I, I appreciate being on, and and uh, nothing but respect for me. You know, for what you do, and I'm sure for what your wife had to deal with. Uh, 
you're you're fortunate because she was there for you. Yeah, uh, I know. That's that's the difference. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of addicts don't. Yeah, you know yeah. they they don't. Yeah. So that's that's a big deal to me. You know, so and I'm not saying it because she's in the room. <laughs> <laughs> the audience didn't know she was in the room. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But maybe maybe from the door opening thing. Don't 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 try to slip your own messages in here, okay? This is between Doug and I. Yeah, wife. you're muted. Wife. I'm just saying you can cut cut it out. And you know you can cut that line out. No cutting things out. We're not cutting things out. No, All right. This is um, this is uncensored. Yeah. Last thing. Is there anything that you would like to put out there? It can be gaming related, it can be non gaming related, whatever you want, anything that is uh, in your head. Um, uh. God, sure. I got a couple things. Um, uh, if you're a war gamer, uh, check out War Machine Mark IV. We've got a new edition coming out. It's a great time to check out our game. Uh, a lot of people think we're a big company. We're not. We're a small company. We're just trying to make cool shit. Um, if you're a hockey fan, uh, don't support the Avalanche. <laughs> uh, but also, my Blues have lost like six games in a row, so... Um, pick somebody good. Back to back. Uh, back to yeah, back. Yeah, it could happen. I'm kind of waiting for, uh, kind of waiting for the Blues to give me a call because our goaltending has not been good. So <laughs> I usually keep my pads in the car just in case. Uh-huh. They, uh, it could happen. That man. text comes through. It I mean, could happen. We saw the Zamboni driver a couple of years ago get a win. Yep. So I, uh, I'm never giving up on that either. And then, uh, lastly, um, man, if you're having some mental health issues, especially the guys out there. I know we don't like to talk about it or we don't like to deal with it, um, but uh, go do it. Go take a chance. Um, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be something everybody knows about or you put on social media. Uh, try it out because I, I I tried it once before and and it didn't work out for me. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. This is never going to help me. Uh, but it actually took me hitting uh, some rough spots to, to to truly give it a chance. Uh, I never thought I would, but. Uh, Mental health is a is an issue. Uh, I'll say that I get made fun of a lot because uh, I'm a huge Imagine Dragons fan, and uh, I take so much shit for it. But I thought you were gonna say Nickelback. You're fine, man. Imagine no, no, Dragons no. is fine. You didn't <laughs> say Nickelback. But uh, the lead singer of uh, Imagine Dragons, Dan Reynolds, deals with uh, depression, and uh, you know he's familiar with addiction, and he's lost loved ones, and uh, you know he just missed uh, him and his wife were on the verge of a big divorce and you know they were able to work it out and he's super open about mental health and getting help and uh, dealing with addiction and things like that and uh, he's a great singer too but the fact that he's open about it uh, I think has affected and influenced so many young people because they see this guy you know this this larger than life figure um, talking about it and so it makes them feel like they can talk about it a little bit more and while I'm not on that stage, if um, you know if there's some gamers out there or some hockey guys out there, and I know you guys are big and you're strong and you're badasses, but um, man, if you're not feeling it, go ahead. It's 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 okay to talk to somebody about it, and uh, uh, life could be better. You know, don't don't uh, don't hurt yourself or uh, you know hurt your loved ones. Um, you know, it, I know it's an uncomfortable subject, but. Try some talk to somebody. Um, like I said, um, I've had friends because I'm open about it now. 
Uh, I've had friends call me with wh whether it's they need some help or their daughters or what do we do or um, yes, talk to somebody about it. Um, I think as a species, we like to help each other, um, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's my message. I like um, it. It's okay. I, I mean, it's they have a song. It's okay to not be okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, Doug. I'm good. I can't thank you enough. Okay. What's that? Oh, it's okay to be an Imagine Dragons fan? Or it's not okay? No, it is okay. Okay, just checking. Just Life. don't be an Avs fan. Why? Fuck. The two of you. It's like it's like you are ganging up on the host right now because I'm trying to finish that show and you're like, oh, I guess I'll Can pull it a second. Can please wrap this up? God damn. I need a yogurt and a nap. <laughs> you need a yogurt and a nap. It's more oh, I need all right, Doug. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for being so incredibly vulnerable. Uh, I always go into these interviews hoping for that, but never expecting it. And and this is, once again, the interview episodes are always my favorites. Um, and I can't thank you enough for being here for it. I appreciate you having me. You know that, um, you know, we, we talk here and there for, uh, you know, a handful of years now. Uh, I didn't know what to expect either. And um, most of my interviews don't go like this. So <laughs> I, uh, but, but I, I think it's something you have to be vulnerable, vulnerable about. I think people need to, to, to see that part of it. So uh, I appreciate you having me. I, 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 hope it, I hope it helps out somewhere. Awesome. Me too, man. Thank me you. Too. All right. Let's get to that yogurt. Yogurt time. <laughs> You've just listened to another episode of the Save vs. Poison podcast. If you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and subscribe on Twitter at VS underscore save, on Facebook at the Save vs. Poison podcast, and streaming live on Twitch at twitch.tv backslash SVP podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>